I need some answers. <laughs> like, I need to know what happened there. So, Veronica, you have some explaining to do. Uh, I, I need that in my own life, so um, that was awesome. Uh, it's really funny how God kind of just puts things together. Um, you guys will understand why in a little bit. But I, I feel like even Veronica's snippet was very tied into what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm going to talk about. There are a lot of different subject matters that I'm going to touch on. I'm going to bring it all in together, so stay with me. Um, but before I jump into things, today's message is going to be about communion through intimacy. Uh, a few months ago, maybe weeks ago, I don't remember the exact date, I gave a message on communion. And the word communion being growing in affection with one another, becoming more, more affectionate, becoming one, becoming shared in values and vision. Um, and I tend to do this, but I, I didn't really explain how, how we're, we're going to do this. And the, the part about that is going to be through intimacy. And if you guys know anything about relationships, uh, I've learned in my marriage with Hannah that the only way we're going to become close to one another is through patience. Intimacy requires time. It requires communication. Right? Every marriage counseling session or any uh, session in general where we're working through relationships, it requires communication. It requires making sure that you express your thoughts and your emotions. I had a coworker before I got married. He's not even a believer, and he told me. Uh, he's been through a lot of rocky things in life, and he told me, he was like, even if it's a little thing that bugs you, you have to talk about it. Like, talk about it well. It's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? So make sure you talk about it. So intimacy requires patience. And that word, patience, I love that word. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that in 1 Corinthians 13, you know this passage, love is patient, love is kind. The first thing, the first attribute of love is patience. And I believe it's because if you don't have patience, you can't learn anything else. Patience requires you to learn things, and it's impossible to learn all of those things unless you're patient with one another. And so uh, I have this slide up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says this, that love is patient and kind. The New King James Version, I love this one. Instead of patience, it says love suffers long and is kind. The message version is that love never gives up. And uh, the thing about patience is you can suffer long and not be kind. You can be kind and not suffer long and be impatient still. But love requires both. It requires you to be both patient and kind, to suffer together. Uh, Hannah will tell you that some of the deepest seasons that we've gone through, we've come out on the other side closer and trusting each other more. And it's the same way with God. Communion requires for us to go through difficult seasons and coming out on the other side, leaning on your beloved. That's what John Thurlow's song is. It's in Song of Solomon. I'm not going to sing it, but it's a good song. It says, I know the end of the story. I come out of the desert or something like that, leaning on my beloved. That is so true for us. In the season that we are in right now, 2020, my goodness, <laughs> where does it end, right? Well, it ends on December 31st, but... The suffering, we come out on the other side. And if we come out on the other side, leaning on our beloved, closer with God, then we would have hit the mark perfectly. Amen? Amen? Um, so, uh, Nava, for us, what we've been doing this fall semester is uh, 
The University of Maryland's plan for fall 2020 was to have a plan, and that plan was a different plan that has a different plan in case something happens. So they have a plan for a plan for a plan. Long story short, we don't know what's going on. So uh, we're still meeting virtually. We've uh, kind of scaled back a little bit from doing things on campus. We don't know what's going on. So we're still meeting virtually. And the thing that we've been focusing on and emphasizing these days has been scripture and going deep with each other. And so I, I'm going to share a little bit about that. Uh, we started our bi-weekly Bible studies two weeks ago on Tuesday night. We had a really, really good conversation. Uh, it was mostly me talking, so I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but... Uh, I had a good conversation with the students talking about soteriology. It's a fancy word for saying, uh, and here's a little bit of a hint for you guys who are in school. Anytime you see the word ology, it's a study of, right? So theology is the study of God. So soteriology, I'm not even saying it right, is the study of salvation. And so we looked into that. And this is why uh, I'm so grateful that Veronica kind of set me up for this. It's kind of like she threw me up for an alley-oop. I want to touch on this a little bit. Okay, Romans chapter 3, verse 22 says this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That word faith in Jesus Christ in Hebrew culture is the same word as trust. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, we have righteousness, right? And it says, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. Uh, I'm going to need a, need a hand. Um, Gabriel, are you here? Do you want to help me out a little bit? I don't know why, but the person that comes to mind is Gabriel. So you can stand here because, uh, you know, social distancing and stuff like that. Um, can we show that picture, that chasm picture that I had up there? Okay. <laughs> kind of an intense picture, right? Um, so here's the way I look, look at it. The guy on, uh, in the middle of the air is trying to jump from earth to heaven. And in between, because of sin, we are divided by a great chasm. Okay? So Gabriel, you're going to help me out a little bit. So you're going to stand on that corner. Okay? And in that corner, all the way over there, is heaven. That is earth, okay? And where I am, this stage, this is the chasm, okay? So um, let's say this. I am Pastor Jason, but uh, I'm not that great of a person. So I can do, like, push-ups while reading Ecclesiastes or something like that. Uh, I'll run cardio. I'll do, like, 60 minutes of cardio every now and then. That's, I've never done that in my life. But just imagine with me that I'm doing 60 minutes of cardio, and I'm working out, but I, I don't read my Bible that much, right? I'm not really into church. I've been to church maybe once or twice on Easter and Christmas, and, you know, I don't really care about God, and I just kind of live my own way, okay? So I'm not fit, okay? I'm not spiritually fit. So if I'm jumping to the other side, and I'm trying to get to heaven, because I'm not fit, and I'm, I haven't been exercising my spiritual muscles, I'll make it to about here, and then I fall into the chasm. Okay, Gabriel, your turn. You can stand up on stage. Gabriel, yeah, Gabriel does work. Not only does he do quiet times, he takes protein shakes and prayer meetings. Like, this guy is super fit. He can run, like, three hours at a speed of 10 miles an hour. 
and not even grow tired. And he worships God all the time. So he is spiritually incredibly fit. Okay? So he jumps from earth trying to get to heaven. And he, you can pretend to walk over a little bit. And where Hannah's mic stand is, that's where you're going to fall. Okay? So because he's fit, he gets way further than I ever could. But he still falls into the chasm. You can come down to the stage a little bit. Okay? And this is what it means when Romans says, all fall short of the glory of God. You can be super fit. You can be spiritually jacked in your body. But all fall short. It does not matter. So it really doesn't matter where I land and where Gabriel lands because we still land in the same place. This is what it means when we are all falling short of the glory of God. Okay? And then that paper is for you, Gabriel. It's going to make sense in a little bit. Do you know, what does that say? Okay, and what does it say in the corners? Um, One million dollars. One million dollars. Congratulations, I gave you a million (laughs) dollars. How do you feel? Great. You feel great? Okay, so um, after service, you can go uh, online with your parents, and you guys can pick up like 300,000 iPads. How about that? Sure. Okay. (laughs) You you know that's not real money, right? Maybe. Well, uh, I'm telling you it's not, so you can't use it. Even though it's a green piece of paper that has a smiley face on it, that says a million dollars, it has no monetary value. Therefore, he can't walk up to an Apple store and exchange that piece of paper for MacBooks, laptops, AirPads, AirPads, iPads. I don't know what an AirPad is, right? AirPods, there you go. You can't buy any of that with that piece of paper. And the reason for that is because there's no intrinsic value. Thank you, Gabriel. I knew I could count on you. You can keep that. You can take it home. <laughs> it means nothing to me. Um, so you can... And the thing about intrinsic value... Um, I'm not a finance guy, so please forgive me. But the thing about intrinsic value is that it's a philosophical concept wherein the worth of an object or endeavor is derived in and of itself, or in layman's terms, independent of other extraneous factors. That's a lot of fancy words for basically saying this, okay? If you guys have ever bought and sold something on eBay, I do that a lot. I just enjoy doing it. I don't know why. It's just a hobby of mine. I'm going to the postal service to send things out. But the thing about the market is this. I can have like a $200 tablet. Say, uh, next month, there's a new tablet that comes out, and nobody really wants this. Even though this is worth $200, I might not be able to sell it for $200. I might sell it for $100, because nobody wants it then. Right? Because that's what the market determines. Or, say, it's a $200 tablet, a new one comes out, and then everything on that tablet ends up being, like, super buggy. And everyone ends up saying, this is actually the the tablet you have. Then all of a sudden, even though this tablet is worth $200, I might be able to sell it for like $300. Intrinsic value says that it doesn't matter what the market says. This is the intrinsic value. And the intrinsic value of this is $200. The reason why this is important is because every other religion claims that Jesus is not fully God. 
Um, I've, I've been on missions trips where I'm talking to people, and they're like, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus was just a good prophet or a good teacher, but he wasn't really God. And my logic is, if you believe Jesus is a good teacher and Jesus is teaching that he's God, then you don't believe he's a good teacher. Right? Does that make sense? And the reason why this is important, okay, is because Jesus is fully God and fully man. If he is fully man but not fully God, that means he came to us, but that has nothing to do with heaven coming to us. And if Jesus is fully God but did not become fully man, then that means that there is no intrinsic value in his sacrifice that would bring salvation to us, and we would not be able to get to heaven. So uh, in summary, if Jesus is fully man but not fully God, that means heaven could come to us, but we cannot get to heaven. If Jesus is fully man but not fully God, I'm sorry, if Jesus is fully God but not fully man, that means that uh, Jesus never came to us and we might be able to get to heaven. There's like uncertainty there. But the intrinsic value of Jesus is that his sacrifice paid for it all. And because of his sacrifice, we have this thing called imputed righteousness. Okay? I'm going somewhere, so stay with me, okay? We have this imputed righteousness, which means that in Christ, when we stand before God at the end of the age, he will look at us and see that we've done nothing wrong, that we've said nothing wrong, that we've thought nothing wrong. We will be 100% righteous in Christ. That is a valuable, intrinsic value. An immeasurable transaction in Christ. Amen. That is incredibly good news. Okay? Now, if Jesus' intrinsic value does not change, and we are in Christ, that means our intrinsic value never changes. I think a few years ago when Justin Bieber was Christian and coming out and singing all of these songs, and Corey Asbury came out with Reckless Love, and all these people who weren't even in church were singing Reckless Love, I think for a moment there, Christians were like pretty cool, right? The market value for Christianity went up a little bit. And all of a sudden, I was like, yeah, I know Corey Asbury. I know Reckless Love, you know? But I feel like, you know, we're kind of in this day and age where the market value of the church and the Christian, Christian walk is like a little bit lower than where we think we need to be, okay? In Christ, our intrinsic value does not matter. We are not defined by market value. Which means even if the church doesn't want us, or I'm sorry, even if the world doesn't want us, it doesn't matter. I know who I am. My value is not defined by what people want from me. And even if people think I'm better than I am, my value doesn't change. It has not changed because of intrinsic value. This is super important for us, especially during these times. And this is where I really want us to go. When we have intrinsic value, people can call us all sorts of things, but we can still be sons and daughters, right? Uh, one of the things that I've learned with Hannah, um, her being a teacher, is that everything comes from home. All behavior, thought process, and things like that, it can always be traced back to what they're learning in home, right? And it's the place where we're being shaped as sons and daughters that really translates into every area of life. And so for us, in this time, in, while all of these things are happening around us, our value as sons and daughters does not change. And no one can say anything otherwise. The other thing is this. Even though 
We're in a time of pandemic, and there's fear all around us. Our identity as hope reformers does not change, which means everyone can be afraid, and we can walk out confidently in hope because it does not bug us. One of the things that um, Hannah shared with me this one time was like, I think four years ago, she was a teacher, and uh, there were a lot of people who were panicking because there were a lot of things that were going on. And she walked into school like a normal day, and she was working, and she had hope radiating from her, and her coworkers were like, aren't you afraid? She was like, no. That's the kind of hope we have. Where we walk into a place and we reform things and change things in the atmosphere because of who we are. Right? And the last thing is this, that even when all of these things are going around us, we are still the salt and light of the world. We are still called to be the salt and light of this world. We are called to bring hope. We're called to bring peace. We're called to love people who are unlovable. Man, and some of you guys know in the workplace, it's not easy to love some people, right? But that's what we're called to do. A few months ago, um, Elder Susan was sharing with a bunch of us leaders here after a prayer meeting, and she said that uh, as a mental... Uh, health professional. I'm sure I'm getting that title wrong, but she mentioned this to me, and it stood out to me because this was when quarantine was happening, and she told us as a church that we are going to see a spike in uh, uh, cases and instability. And so I've been really holding that into my heart. I've been holding it dear into my heart, and uh, sure enough, I've been noticing that more and more with different people. Some people I have never even met like, my friends who are in ministry have been calling me and saying, uh, there's some stuff going on. Like, can you help me? And we've been talking through a lot of these things. We are in a time where things are shaking around us. And as I've talked to a lot of these people, as I've kind of ministered to them and really dialogued with them to get an idea of what's going on, I've realized that we live in an era where um, things have to be instant, and suffering is often an indication that something is wrong. Okay. And I'm no, I know I'm making somewhat of a generalization here, but stay, stay with me a little bit. I've noticed that a lot of people, like a lot of young people, they need things immediately. And suffering is like an indication that they're not headed on the right track. But scriptures tell us that suffering is promised. Um, I hear stories from my grandparents and from Pastor Q, and I hear a lot of these stories, and when I hear these stories, it makes my worst days look like a paper cut. Like, they've gone through a lot. Like, my grandparents have gone through the ringer and back, and they still love the Lord. And I'm like, I don't know that kind of suffering. Patience suffers long. And suffering is often what draws us closer to God. I forgot to mention that last time when I was talking about communion and growing in affection, right? It sounds great when we're going deep with God and deep with one another. And suffering is often part of the process. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom, which means growing deep in the Lord. There is no such thing as a shortcut. And we want things really fast. We're in a microwave generation. We're in an insta generation where things happen quickly, but, but God's definition of soon is not our definition of soon. And if you need proof, Jesus said he's coming back soon, 2,020 years ago. And soon to me does not mean 
2,020 years. But we are called to suffer long. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom. Um, one of my favorite memories in ministry uh, was when I was in a season of just like, I felt like torture. <laughs> I'm a little dramatic when it comes to these things. You have to understand, like, I'm quite the dramatic person, even though my voice doesn't, it's like kind of, I don't really have, I have a monotonous voice or something, uh, according to my wife, but, but trust me, I like exaggerating things, okay? And so I remember the first year I went into ministry as an intern pastor. I kid you not, two weeks in, I called my friend, and I was like, I need a sabbatical. Like, this is so hard. And he was like, you just started. You don't need a sabbatical. And then a year went by. Um, I ended up leaving that church, uh, and I felt really, really lonely. And I almost felt like directionless. I didn't really know where to go. Um, and at that same time, you guys know Yuri and Tano. They came uh, for an event. And I was dropping them off at the airport after the fact. And I remember just sitting in the car and Tano was like trying to encourage me and nothing was really sticking. And Yuri was pregnant with, I think, their first child at the time. So it was a long time ago. And Yuri kind of just stops. And then she, she, I'm driving, so she like kind of leans forward. And she says this. She says, Jason, I have a word for you. I'm like, oh, yeah. I love it when people prophesy over me. Like I want something like to like encourage me. I need some juice. And she goes... I feel like you're living the life of a salmon. I was like, salmon? <laughs> like sushi? Right? She's like, this is what a life of a salmon looks like. They swim upstream their entire lives. So they're not going with the current. They're swimming upstream their entire lives. And they, when they get to the place to lay eggs, they lay their eggs for the future offspring to live, and then they die. And I'm like, that is like the opposite of encouraging. <laughs> I thought prophetic words were supposed to be encouraging. And in tunnels, like, encouraging is what she's like, oh, that's such a great word, babe. I'm like, hello, guys. <laughs> like, I still need encouragement. And I remember driving home thinking to myself, like, what kind of word is that? You know? But it's true. It's true. We are called to swim upstream. And to make things worse, my seminary professor, like, the year after, she said, any dead fish can float downstream. We need people who are going to swim upstream against the current. And it's going to be suffering for some of you guys. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I need encouragement, right? But I realized I was doing this thing where in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the passage I read, love is patient. Right before that, you guys know this passage, right? If I can speak, if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and angel, but have not love, I am a no, noisy gong, or clanging symbol, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, and love is kind. That entire part before that, I didn't really tie them two together, but if you think about it, we're kind of like that in the church. We're kind of like that in the Corinthian church. I am, I'll be the first to admit, I'm guilty of it. When I go in to receive ministry or prophetic words, sometimes I'm hoping that I get a quick fix. Like, and don't get me wrong, we have those moments with the Lord where in an instant, God will break through and change everything. That happens to me like every now and then. Okay? I'm not going to deny it. That happens. But not always. Not always. 
right? Most of the time, it's that verse 4, love is patient and love is kind. Could it be that sometimes we're looking for breakthrough to shave or to, sh- to, to, to sculpt things around us? Could, we, could it be that we're asking God to break through and change our external circumstances when God is more interested in walking through the fire with us? Could it be that we are looking for things to change around our lives? Maybe our financial situation. Maybe it's our relationships. For single people, maybe it's a spouse right? I've, I've been through the fire for years too. Could it be that God is not as interested in changing those pieces, but he is more interested in us coming out of this season, leaning on our beloved more? And if that is our goal, that we would have hit the mark. And I was talking to this with Tyler the other day and um, telling him that sometimes in, in life, like in ministry, I'm thinking about like, what I want to accomplish in life. And sometimes God is just wanting to accomplish intimacy with me and to go through the fire in intimacy with him. There's a story about a silversmith. Um, do you guys know what a silversmith is? They like make things out of silver. And uh, this is where the refiner's fire thing comes into play, where they, they put silver, a piece of metal, into the fire. And they have to turn it up really, really hot so that they can sculpt it and remove any impurities on the silver. But it has to be really hot. If you leave it in there for too long, it actually starts damaging the silver. But if you leave it in too little, you can't remove the impurities in there. And the silversmith does this back and forth, removes the impurities, puts it back in the fire, checks to make sure it's done. And uh, someone asked the silversmith, how do you know when it's done? And the silversmith says this, I know when the piece of silver is done because I can see my reflection on it perfectly. Church, we're called to reflect Christ. But sometimes it requires a fire, amen? And it's not an attractive thing. And here's another thing about that. Um, Here's a little tip for some of the guys. I'll never forget the story. And I held it dear to my heart because I I never made this mistake that my friend made. My friend made a mistake. He was like a little bit older than me. He said uh, he knew that his girlfriend at the time really liked Louis Vuitton. But he's a working man, he's not really established in his career. So he went to New York City and realized that they have these things called like fake Louis Vuitton bags, right? And so he was like, oh, you know what? I'll get this for her. I don't have to pay as much, but she won't know the difference. She, when, when the bag, when she, as soon as she got the bag, she looked at it and she was like, take it back. I don't want it. And I was like, what do you mean you don't want it? It's a Louis Vuitton bag. And she was like, no, it's fake. Like she knew instantly, brothers, they know, <laughs> Don't do it. I'm telling you, if you need to borrow money, borrow money from me. Just don't buy anything fake because they know. But it's this phenomena where we believe and we understand that somebody's name, the designer's name on a bag, for whatever reason, makes that thing that much more valuable. Whose name is on you? It's the thing about intrinsic value again, isn't it? Whose name are we rocking? And does that name, when we rock it, does it give us our intrinsic value that we need, that we all know that we have? And when he sees us and when we look at him, does he see his own face? And it's going to require us to go through the fire for that. I believe that God is here. Um, 
when Pastor Q came out and said we needed to sing this chorus again. I, I was in my little corner with my mask, crying a little bit. And, you know, I, I don't really cry too frequently, but when I do, it, it, it's kind of a mess. Um, it, I almost got there, okay? Uh, and it was one of those things where it's like the mask, so it's kind of like, is the mask going to catch my tears? Some of you guys may have never experienced that, no problem. But worship was wrecking me. And I believe God wants to deal with some disappointment in our hearts in 2020, maybe years before that. I, I really do feel like uh, we have this time of ministry available for anyone who's uh, wanting to deal with some disappointment. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up while I finish this up a little bit. Um, a lot of you guys know that earlier this year, uh, one of Hannah's best friends and one of our dear sisters told me he passed away. And it's been a journey for years where we had been contending for her healing. Um, there were times and moments in even my life where uh, we walked out of a hospital room like unsure, like, do, do we keep praying for healing? Like, what are we going to do about this? And there are so many times where Hannah was like, no, God said this, so we're going to keep praying. There are times where I walked out and I said, God said this, let's keep praying. But we were kind of trying to feed each other during a challenging season. And Tomi was one of those friends. Um, she scared me uh, because when she found out that we were dating, she was like, oh, put that boy on the phone. And so we were on the phone, and she was like, if you hurt Hannah, I break you. And there was a part of me that was like shook a little bit. I'm like, obviously, homie, like, I, I think I'm stronger than you, but you've intimidated me a little bit. And she was like, I will break you if you hurt her. And I was like, man, okay, I, you have my respect. And we went on this journey together, and it was challenging. Um, Hannah and I, at that time, we were leading worship at Rock Church. One of the songs that we were singing quite a lot in that season was... Uh, you're the God of miracles. And then one of the songs that we sang today, You Came. And that's why I was getting quite emotional. And I remember that song at Rock Church during the season of praying and believing for Somi's healing. We would sing that bridge. How does that bridge go again? I just blanked out on the words. You are a miracle working God. Obviously, it meant so much to me at the time. But it did. But... In that season, I remember shouting that, believing it. Even if my heart couldn't believe it, I'm going to shout it until I do, that you are a miracle-working God. And so when she passed, I remember how difficult it was for us and how much reorientation we had to do and processing and grief and things like that. And today, when we were singing that, God reminded me of that. And suffering does this thing to us where we can either walk away changing our values and our beliefs. 2020 is one of those years. We can walk through 2020 and allow 2020 and the pains and disappointments of 2020 to alter our values and what we believe about God. Or we can declare that he is a miracle-working God until we believe it and let 2020 come and go and declare in faith that our disappointment has come and gone and I have not been shaken. 
My intrinsic value has not shaken because of my external circumstances. I still hold who I am and who God says He is, not based on my circumstances, but because of who He says He is. And so I remember singing, and God was reminding me, like, you remember singing this. What do you believe today? So I started singing it again until I believed it. You are a miracle working God. You are a miracle working God. And then the next song, there was a line in there, You are my champion, where it really stood, stood out. Man, God is undefeated. Even when t o l d me passed, He's undefeated because He conquered the grave. We don't lose in the kingdom. Church, my challenge to us today is let's not be shaken by the waves and the storms of life right now. God has not changed. He is the same miracle working God. He's the same miracle working God who brought healing to different people that I've met. Like I've seen people healed with my own eyes. And so, one chance or one, one, one circumstance where Tommy didn't get healed has not changed who he is. He is still a miracle working God. Whatever financial struggle you're in, I've seen financial breakthrough in an instant. Let's not allow this circumstance to dictate who God is. Let's look at our problems. Let's look at that and say, God is a miracle working God. And you will submit to Christ. One day, one way or another, all of our issues, all of our giants that we think, all of the mountains that we see in front of us, they will submit before God. We are seated with Him, undefeated. Amen. What song was Okay. So we're going to close with the song You Came and um, the, the bridge, You Are a Miracle Working God. I want us to do this prophetically. I want you to look at your disappointment right in the face and declare to your disappointment that my God is a miracle working God. We're going to declare it over our nation right now. We're going to declare it over all of the issues that are going on. That my God is a miracle working God. This storm will come and go, but we will not be shaken. Amen. Let me pray for us and let's sing this song together. Father, we know who you are. You are who you say you are. And I am who you say that I am. We belong to you, God. We declare today that no matter what we're going through, no matter what our circumstances look like, we declare that you are a miracle working God. All it takes is an instant for you. It's not too difficult. God, you have never hit the panic button. You didn't look at our situations, you didn't look at our reports, and all of a sudden decide that you needed to hit the panic button. You are calm. You are collected. You are the most confident man alive. You are seated on your throne. We say we trust you. We say you're perfect in everything that you do. We say that you are perfect in all of your ways. There's never been a mistake that you've made. And so we can trust you. We lean into your heart, God. We lean into you. 
say, God, it is the right place to be. There's no place we'd rather be than here with you in your arms, God.